Go ahead and pull out your Bibles this morning and something to take notes with. Oh, we haven't even gotten to reading the Bible yet, and it's already been good. All right, open up to Genesis 12 when you get your Bible. Um, if you're new to the Bible, it's the very first book, so we're making it easy. Kids are partying on the way out. I love it. All right, Genesis 12 is where we're going to be. Something to take notes with. Uh, you're going to want that this morning because it's going to be extra good. So, no, I'm kidding. I'm just saying. You're going to want it. All right. Uh, oh, wrong, wrong sermon I have pulled up here. That was last week. Redo? No. All right. Thanks. All right, Genesis 12 is where we're going to be. Uh, this morning, we are starting off a new series that we're going to be doing for the plan is the next six weeks. Might be a little less, but probably no more. Uh, but I think I'm really excited about it. So you can write this at the top of your notes this morning, the title for the series. And the, the title for the message is part one of it. But we're doing a series called Ch A Church Like Home. A Church Like Home is what we're going to be digging into for the next handful of weeks. So um, I don't know what your home life was like growing up, but I'm thankful because I grew up in an amazing home. Do we have that? Oh, perfect. So uh, I grew up in an amazing home. My parents are incredible. They're the, they're the ones leading the kids this morning. And do, anybody know my parents and love them? Yeah, they're, yes, they're well-loved around here. They're awesome. They're, they're amazing. They have an incredible marriage. I grew up with uh, three awesome sisters. And then uh, three boys moved in next door when I was like eight. So that worked out awesome. Uh, so that, that, was, that was really, really encouraging to me. Um, I've got tons of great memories growing up, from growing up, and tons of great memories from the actual home that I grew up in. And I was over there yesterday at my parents' house because they still live there. It's like 2.4 miles from where I stand right now, which is kind of crazy. Uh, but they're still living here. So I took a picture of the home that I grew up in, um, and we're going to put it up here in a second, I think. Do we have that? Okay, perfect. Awesome. So this is from their driveway. And um, so this is, this is the home I grew up in. And I just have a lot of memories here. Like I remember um, riding down the driveway on a big wheel. Anybody remember big wheels? Awesome. A big wheel. I was playing that. And my dad came out having just shaved his mustache for the first time. And he kind of freaked me out. Uh, so I, I remember that. And then another memory of this driveway is there's a, there's a creek that runs right there. And so there's a bridge over it. And the bridge has a little lip that's just higher than the driveway, which means if you're going really fast on a bike you can catch some air. Duh. So I remember one time flying down the driveway. I was trying to get as much air as I could, and I, I pulled up the front wheel, and when I did that, uh, the front wheel just came off and kept going. And so the, I landed on the driveway. The forks of my bike dug into the bridge. I went over the handlebars and fell and scraped up my face real bad. That was not fun. Um, I, remember, I remember that. There's a lot of highs here at this home. We celebrated a lot of birthdays. Uh, we had baseball parties from our baseball teams all the time. There's a pool in the backyard, so loads of good times there. Um, I also remember a lot of lows. Got into a lot of trouble here at this home. Um, got disciplined for many a thing that I deserve to be disciplined for. And my parents found out plenty of things about my life in this home that they wish wouldn't have happened. So, you know, some highs and some lows. Uh, I had a friend, my, my bedroom window is this one right up here. And I had some, a friend in town a few weeks ago and he was staying at my parents' house uh, next to the room where I grew up in. And I was like, hey, this is the room I grew up in. And I said, you know, I, I sinned a lot in that room and I also have encountered God a lot in that room. There's been a little bit of, little bit of both. <laughs> and so, you know, that's, that's the home I grew up in. And, and I love this picture because it's, it shows something else that I grew up working in, in the yard with my dad, like every Saturday, that's what we did. And uh, sometimes I'd get mad because I wanted to go play with my friends. 
but we were always doing mulch or something. So this was yesterday, and of course my dad has rented this backhoe-looking thing because he had to do a job that was probably smaller than what it required, but why not, right? Why not? So I, I love that it shows there's always a project going on around my house. And, and this Suburban right here, I remember pulling up that bridge one day after hanging out with some friends uh, the night before, and we had gone off-roading, and because it was four-wheel drive, I said, yeah, I can drive. We'll go, we'll go off-roading through the woods and all kinds of stuff like that and hit a tree, so that was an accident, and put this massive dent in the rear quarter panel, and my dad was off to the side of the driveway when I pulled up the next morning, and he looks up and sees me pulling up, and of course, the first thing he sees is this massive dent, and he's just, he's like, we can't even hear each other, he's just across the yard, and he just yells, I see his mouth going, what happened, you know, and I was like, and the, of course, so I rolled down the window and I tried to convince him that somebody had opened their door into the quarter panel at church the night before, and he didn't buy it. So he caught me. <laughs> that was a lie, and he knew it. So a lot, a lot of memories growing up in, in this home. But if you, if you drive down 75th Street between Allisonville and Dean Road, and you see this home where I grew up, you'll see... You'll see this house for what it is. You may comment on something about it, something you like or, or don't like or something that you might think is cool or, or something like that. You, you might comment on the house, but that's what you see when you drive down the street is you see a house. But when I drive down 75th Street in between Allisonville and Dean and pull into this driveway, it's a home. It's not, it's not the same thing as a house. It's, it's different than just a building. It's different than a place where people live. It's a place where I lived. It's, it's a place where my family grew up, where a lot of life happened, you know, the, the highs, the lows, the in between over a long period. It's a home, you know, to me. And now, like yesterday, I get to take my son over there, and, and he's over there now, too. And there's just so much going on. It's not just a house. It's, it's a home to me. And I think in, in sort of similar ways, when, when people think about church, or if they drive by our church, for example— most people will just see it for sort of what it is at face value. They'll see a building. They'll see a sign. They'll see, or they'll think about a Sunday morning program. They'll, maybe they think about a denomination when you think about church or a worship style, a type of music. You think about, you think about that. But, but God's desire for church has never been that it be a, a church, a program, a 501c3 defined by a building or, or something that would be run like a business. That's, that's not God's heart. Now, I, we're a 501c3. We have a building. We're about to start construction. All those things are awesome. But God's desire has never been that those be the things that define church. It'd be like looking at a house or a home and just saying, well, it's just a house. It's meant for so much more. His desire has always been that the church be defined by, by a people and by a people and, and, and the way that they live. And, and not even just a people and the way that they live, but that the church would actually be marked and it would be a people with whom God himself lives. That the church would be like a home for God. God's desire has always been a church like home, not just a church like a house. When we moved here, my, my wife and 
well, Rose and Smith was in the belly, so whatever. Me and the family, when we moved back here to Indianapolis in May of 2016 to start this church, we were praying and asking God, Lord, is there anything specific that you're kind of saying uh, for our church? Any promises or any verses that you're highlighting specifically for us as a church? Just things that we can build on, because, you know, it's a big book, and we believe all of it, but are there some bite-sized chunks we can hold on to? And as we prayed, uh, we believe that God spoke something really clearly to us out of Genesis chapter 12, which is where I had you turn this morning. And we're going to read just a couple of verses here in Genesis chapter 12. God is talking to a man named Abram, and he's calling him out of the land that he lives and into a new land that God is promising to give him. And I'm encouraged by that because that was very much the place that we were in at the time, getting called out of College Station, Texas, where we lived, into Indianapolis, Indiana, for no other reason than we felt like God said so. And so I'm like, yeah, Abram, God, I'm, I'm, I'm meeting with you here. I, I get it. And God says this to Abram. He gives him this promise when he's moving. So the very beginning of the Bible, and he says this in verse two, and, and I will make out of you, Abram, a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And, you, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. It's a big promise to a guy and his family. And God is laying the foundation for something here in Genesis chapter 12 for his church. But for us, it was important because we hadn't even started this church yet. And we were saying, God, how do you start? What do we do? What do we kind of shoot for at first? Because when we moved here, there was a handful of families by the time we moved that said they wanted to jump in and be a part of this church. So we started in our house in Broad Ripple, like the weekend that we moved in, we all of a sudden are having services in our house. Uh, who was there? Where are we at? Awesome. Good crew. Adults upstairs, kids in the basement and out on the patio, making it work. And it was fun. And, and one thing that was really helpful about these verses, I felt like God gave us a really clear charge that first summer when we were starting. And I think it lines up with his heart for church in general. He said, uh, I want you to take the summer and I want you to take these strangers because not everybody knew each other. I felt like God said this phrase to my heart. I want you to take strangers and create family so that when you invite people to church, you invite them home and not to an event. I thought, wow, that sounds like something God would say. And so that's what we've tried to give ourselves to as a church, is not just being a church that's an event, but a place where strangers be, can become family. So when you step into this place and into this people, you come home, not just to an event. So that's why we have the welcome home sign out front. That's why it matters that, that you're here. That's why it matters that even you're here on time, because the new people are here on time, and you get to welcome them into the house of God, right? So that's why, that's why we have the welcome home sign, and that's what we do around here. And we just believe that God is is really into home. He's really into family. And so over the next handful of weeks with this series, A Church Like Home, I want to talk about different values that create a church like home. What, what is the difference between a church like a house and a church like home, right? So that's what we're going to be doing over the next handful of weeks. But before we get into that, uh, before we get into those specific values, this week is going to kind of be like you know, it, it's part one, but this, it's not even its own whole sermon. It's just kind of the introduction to the whole thing. Does that make sense? So we're going we're gonna to lay some framework for all of this because we're all coming from different backgrounds. Uh, some of you have spent hardly any time in church at all. Some of you have spent a lot of time in church, lots of different experiences and all of that kind of stuff. And so what I'm excited about is that we have the Bible 
And we can just go to this and say, okay, we're not going to talk about denominations and styles of worship and all of that kind of stuff. Let's just dig in this morning to what does God say about his desire for what church is and what his dreams are. So this morning, we're doing Bible study. I hope, that's why I said you should have your notes out because we're going to do a good old-fashioned Bible study and uh, we're pretty much going to cover the whole Bible. So if you're new to the Bible, that's a perfect spot to be because we're going to do a little overview um, and we'll see if it works. <laughs> Does that sound good? So hopefully, hopefully we're not here all day. Hopefully we're here. Uh, hopefully it's clear and it works. So keep your notes out. We're going to touch on a lot of different things. And you'll probably use your notes more than your Bible this morning because uh, use your notes to write down the different references we, we hit on uh, because we don't have time to turn to all of them. Cool? Touch your neighbor and say, buckle up. <laughs> We're going to have a good time. Awesome. So well, I think this is worth sharing as we get started into this too. Um, this morning, as I was going through my notes one more time after I woke up, and uh, I was just kind of making sure that it at least made sense in my head. Hopefully, it'll make sense in yours. I, I got to kind of this point in the message, uh, in my notes, where I was about to dig into all this thing. And, and I'm not much of a crier, but I like just almost started crying. And I was like, what in the world is going on? I'm by myself in the basement. This is so weird. And uh, so as I was going over it, about to do this overview of what, does, what is the church, what, what is God's desire for his people, it just started to wreck me because um, I just, it just sort of like hit me in this moment. I think it's worth saying that like we're not doing this because there's anything to be convinced of or like there's anything that we're trying to build. Like we're doing this because God's amazing and, and he loves his people. And the reason I'm so excited about this series and, and why I love this, this church so much, why I love the church is because my life has been changed by the church, by the people of God, not the organization and it, it, with all of its imperfections that come with the people because we're all people, right? My life has just been radically transformed by this, not again by a denomination or anything like that, but by God's heart for his people. And I'm just so excited to dig into this. And, and, I, and honestly, my, my prayer for all of us is that over these next six weeks, we would all fall in love more deeply with the church, with the people of God. And we'd be more convinced of who we're called to be and what we're called to, what we have the opportunity to be a part of as the people of God. So big dreams, big prayers. I've been praying them for you already, so it's a setup. Hopefully you get more than you're bargaining for. So we're going to do this overview here of what is the church? What is God's desire for his people? And to do that, we've got to go all the way back to the beginning because I hear it's a good place to start. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth and he created people and he put them in the garden of Eden, he puts Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden. Right before that, God says, he says to himself, he says, let us make man in our own image. I just, want to, I just want to make man in our own image. I want to have somebody that I can be in relationship with. And then when it starts explaining the garden, what was going on before sin ever entered the world and all of that, it just says that God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He didn't put them on earth to do a bunch of stuff right, to follow a bunch of rules. From the beginning, God just said, I, just, I want some friends. I want some friends. And that's what the garden was all about. They didn't even wear clothes. They didn't even know that they were naked. That's how covering the beauty of the presence of God was. Like that's how much you could not get caught up in shame or you could not get caught up in anything else other than God because he was there. And that's what God wanted for his people. 
then sin enters the world and, and creates separation between man and God. And there's a big chunk of the Bible called the Old Testament that can be hard to read sometimes. You kind of don't know what's going on at, at all the times, but, but the big overarching story of the Old Testament that'll help you filter what you're reading and, and help you interpret and understand what God might be saying throughout the Old Testament is that the Old Testament is now after the garden, after sin enters the world, the Old Testament is the story of God trying to display himself to the world through a chosen person or a chosen people. It's a story of God trying to display himself through a chosen person or a chosen people so that the rest of the world can see what he's like and be drawn to him. Nobody wrote that down, but I think that's gonna help you at some point when you're reading the Old Testament. <laughs> I'm gonna say it one more time. The rest of the Old Testament is the story of God. He's, he's choosing a person or he's choosing a people at any given time to display himself to this person or to this people so that everybody else can see what it looks like to be under the blessing of God and be drawn to him and see what they were created for. So from the beginning, God is always trying to lead his people into relationship with him. His goal is relationship. And, and, and through the laws and through all the ups and downs of the Old Testament and everything going on and even some of the confusing stuff, the big story that's happening is God is always trying to lead his people into a lifestyle and into an environment where he can live among them. So that's the goal. It's always the goal. It's not to create robots who just do what he says. The, his goal is, I want to be with you, so now I want to show you how to live a lifestyle and create an environment that can host me because I want to live with you. He's always trying to show his people how to be a home. He's always trying to show his people how to be a home for him. He wants to live with his people. That brings us to Genesis 12, 2 and 3 that we read at the beginning. God makes this promise and, and there's this kind of big word for the promise that he makes and it's covenant. God makes this covenant with his people and, and you see God renewing this covenant all through the Old Testament. And this covenant, it's, it's a promise, but, but it's more than just a promise of God saying, okay, here's the rules you need to follow. The beauty and the power of covenant is that it's a mutually giving relationship. It's a mutually giving responsibility to this covenant. So God is not just requiring something of his people. He's trying to give himself away at the same time. This is the purpose of God's covenant. We have a word, kind of our everyday normal for covenant in our minds and in our lives is marriage. Marriage is a covenant where you're committing to one another. It's not a one-way deal, right? Should we preach on that for a second? <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's not a one-way deal. Both parties are coming and saying, I'm giving you myself. And this is why marriage is such a big deal. This is why, why marriage is such a big deal because it's, it's not just a social norm. It's not just a, a, a construct of our, of our culture or anything like that. It's a reflection of God's commitment to his people. It's a reflection of the way God wants to be in relationship with us. So this, in Genesis 12, God makes this promise to Abraham, makes this covenant. And the amazing thing is that this promise wasn't just a promise to Abraham. It was a promise for his family. He says, through you, through your family, I'm gonna bless all the families of the earth. And I love that from the get-go, 
going along this theme of home. God is nailing it home to us that God wants to work through family. God does what he does best in the context of family. So Abraham gets this promise for him, for his family. And then he has a son down the road named Isaac. And then a bunch of stuff happens. And then Isaac has a son named Jacob. And then a bunch of stuff happens. And we find ourselves down the road with Jacob. He has this encounter with God, this wrestling with God. And God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. So this is where the nation of Israel gets his name. Kind of a big moment. So all this stuff is happening. Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob has his name turned to Israel. And all of a sudden, this covenant that was given to Abraham has multiplied into his family, into his son. And then it starts multiplying into the generations. Now his grandson is carrying this thing. And now Jacob has a name, not just a name for himself, but a name for a nation. And now all of a sudden, this covenant has multiplied to a promise for a nation. You see how God's doing it. Do you see it? So all of this stuff is multiplying because from the beginning, just like he says in Genesis 12, 2 and 3, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. I'm blessing you so that you can give it away and everybody else can benefit. He wants to do what he does in your life to multiply to those around you. That's family. That's family where we get to benefit from each other's blessings because the blessing isn't about us. We get blessed so we can bless everybody else around us. We can bless the world around us. This is God's desire for you. In Isaiah 49, 3, God says this over, his, over the nation of Israel, underlining this point. In 49, verse 3, he says to me, this is a, a prophetic word that Isaiah is, is receiving from the Lord. The Lord shows up to him and he says this. He says, you are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. And he's underlining the purpose of the people of God is to be a people through whom God can glorify himself. God wants to pour out his presence in your life. God wants to pour out his blessing in your life. God wants to pour out his power in your life. He wants to glorify himself in your life. This is the will of God for you. Why? A few verses later, he's continuing this point in verse six. He says, because he, I, I want you to be glorified, but it's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. And in other words, what he's saying is Jacob, see Jacob and Israel. It's the same thing. Remember how he got his name changed? We're talking about the same people here. He's saying, I'm going to bless you, but it's too small that it's just for you. This blessing, this blessing is so big, you can't hold it for yourself. It's not just about you. I want to bless you so that I can make you a light for the nations. This is the call of God on the people of God to receive the blessing of God, to be people who he can glorify himself through. Why? So that you can be a lighthouse for the nations. So you can be a light to your neighbors. So you can be a light to your family, to your friends, to your children, to your parents, so that you can be a picture of God to the world around you and they can look and come and find him. This is the call of God from the very beginning. We doing okay? Okay. So God establishes Israel. That's the book of Genesis. Good job. You did it. A lot happens, and they end up as slaves in a nation. As, as a nation, they end up as slaves in Egypt. God calls a guy named Moses. Maybe you've heard of him. He calls a guy Moses to set people free, and then a lot happens. 
hashtag plagues, and all this stuff happens, and then they're uh, wandering the desert for 40 years on the way to stepping into the land that God had promised them. And the same land that they're going to is the same land that God had promised Abraham from the beginning. Because God didn't get sidetracked, the people did. Which, that'll preach. Maybe for another time. So a lot happens. They find themselves in the desert for 40 years on their way to the land that God has promised them. And that's Exodus. Way to go. Genesis, Exodus, done. You got it. The rest of the Old Testament is essentially the story of this cycle now that God's people find themselves in. They've gone through slavery. They've been set free. They've done the desert thing. And now they're entering into the land that God has promised them. And they go through this cycle where they step into the blessing of God. God blesses them. God prospers them. Everything's going amazing. They're worshiping God and and they're reaping the blessing of, of walking with God. And the rest of the world's looking at them and saying, wow, their God must be something because look at how blessed they are. That's amazing. So they're living in the blessing And then they get arrogant and they think, we're getting blessed because we're awesome. And they start worshiping other gods and going down other roads and all these sorts of things. So they start using the blessing for themselves instead of showing it as a lighthouse to the nations. And God says, has to remind them, that's not the purpose of this covenant. That's not why we're in relationship. Remember, you're blessed to be a blessing. So because you're using the blessing to not be a blessing, I'm going to take it away. And God would remove the blessing and they would go through different cycles or different generations or whatever, different types of judgment of, remove, of God removing the blessing so that he could show them, no, rem- don't go away from me. I want to bless you. Now you've gone away and now I can't because I want to live with you, but you've left. So he removes the blessing. They go through all this terrible stuff and they remember, oh my gosh, that was really dumb. That whole time, that was God, not us. And so they repent and they come back to God and basically say, We totally blew that. Is there any way you'll have us back? And every time God says, absolutely, welcome home. And he starts blessing them again. And then after a while, they think, man, we're pretty awesome. And they start doing it again. And God has to remove the blessing again. And then they realize, wait a second, that was God the whole time. God, is there any way you'd have us back? And he says, absolutely, welcome home. And he begins blessing them again. And then they think they're really awesome. And that's why we call it a cycle, because it keeps happening over and over and over again. That's essentially the rest of the Old Testament. So when you're reading the Old Testament, that's what's happening, is they're going through this cycle over and over and over again. But God is trying to create a people who will live a lifestyle, live in an environment where he can live with them for the sake of the nations of the earth. In the midst of this cycle that's going on, there's a few different seasons of God's physical house on earth when they're in the desert wandering around, when they're kind of a mobile people, they have mobile church. It was called a tabernacle. And it was this tent thing that they would tear down and take with them. And wherever they camped out, they'd put it back up again. And then when they left, they'd tear it down because that's what you do with tents. Pretty convenient. And they had this tent called the tabernacle. There was sort of different stages, but, but the kind of the deepest, most significant place of the tabernacle was called the Holy of Holies. And there was this thing there called the Ark of the Covenant, which essentially was like God's seat on earth. Hello? It was God's seat on earth, the Ark of the Covenant. So he would, he would come and he would sit on this place with these people and they would be able to have, their, have the presence of God in the midst of them. Exodus 25 verse 8 says this. God's telling them, I, you're, you're, you're wandering around in the desert, but I want you to build something for me. I want you to build a home because even though you're wandering and you shouldn't even be out here, I still want to be with you. That'll preach too. 
And Exodus 25 verse 8 says this, God says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Sanctuary, can, it's translated just a sacred, a holy place. I want you to make a holy place for me that I may dwell with you. This word that is translated that I may dwell with you, it, it means to settle down with, to abide. I want to inhabit. I want to inhabit your environment. So God's saying to his people in Exodus 25, I want you to build me a home so I can settle down with you. How beautiful is that? After the tabernacle, after they land in a more permanent environment, they then have a series of temples that they built that essentially reflected the same structure of the, of the tabernacle. But what's, what the point is saying that the tabernacle had a holy of holies, the temple had the equivalent of the holy of holies, the place where God would dwell among his people. And in the tabernacle and in the temples, this holy, this holy place, the holy of holies, was a very exclusive place. It was very exclusive and to the point where there was one person who was called the high priest of the whole nation. There was one person on planet earth, the high priest of the nation of Israel, who was allowed into the holy of holies, who was allowed into the very presence of God. He was allowed in one time a year. And before he went in, he had to go through crazy amounts of like rituals and cleansing and wear certain robes and all of this kind of stuff that God had spelled out, say this is what it takes to be able to come into the very presence of the living God. And even then when he would do that, they would put bells at the bottom of his robe and they'd tie a rope around his ankle just in case he had done something wrong or had some secret sin in his heart that he was trying to hide because if he had done something like that, he would step into the presence of God and the power of God, it would just kill him and they needed a way to get him out. Pretty intense, pretty intense. So there's the Holy of Holies and it's, it's covered by this veil. The one guy could go in one time a year, hopefully after every, doing everything right and hopefully he came out alive. So the temple and the tabernacle, they gave a place for God to dwell in the midst of his people, but there was still this veil that separated him from the people. He could be among them, but he couldn't really be with them. So God had a building to dwell in. There was a program that you could follow to engage with him, but that wasn't enough for him. He wanted more. He wanted more relationship. He wanted deeper relationship with his people because like we said from the beginning, God's heart has never been religious constructs. It's always been intimate covenant. That's what God longs for. If you skip all the way ahead to Matthew 27, verse, starting in verse 50, we, get, we pick up the story of Jesus dying on the cross. And it says this, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. After all of this history, after all of these tabernacles and temples and generations of rituals and this veil that, nobody, that everybody knew they couldn't go behind because they weren't good enough, all of a sudden Jesus dies and this veil tears itself in half from top to bottom as if God himself grabbed it from the top and ripped it in two. This is the beauty of the cross. This is the beauty of Jesus that now this place, this reality that only one high priest could experience one time a year for the sake of one nation on the earth because of who Jesus was and what he accomplished on the cross, this had been torn open and all of a sudden God comes running out 
of the Holy of Holies to be with his people because Jesus' blood had covered like all the blood of those sacrifices. Jesus' blood took care of it. You didn't need the robes anymore because Jesus shed all of his robes, died with everything off, everything uncovered so that you didn't have to pretend anymore. God comes running out to be with his people. No longer one person entering one place in the presence of God. Now, 1 Peter 2.9 tells us this. This is now the truth. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. There's no longer one race. There's no longer one priest. We're, we, the people of God, because of the blood of Jesus, born into his blood, are now of a royal race. So there's nothing to do with your skin color. It's nothing to do with where you come from. It has everything to do with who Jesus is. You got born again into the blood of Jesus and now you're a chosen race. Now you're the royal priesthood. Able to live in the presence of God, made clean by the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 6, 19 through 20 says this. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. I think the Bible's making a point here. It's pretty dramatic language to say, this is true. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, essentially saying we don't need one high priest anymore because Jesus is our high priest. And where he has gone, he has made a way for us to go as well. Just one chapter later, Hebrews 10, 19 says this through 22. Therefore, brothers, because of this reality, since we have a confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have such a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is the good news of Jesus. When you give your life to Jesus, when you become part of the church, you are part of so much more than a social club that meets once a week in a building. This is so much more than behavior modification, a religious obligation. God wants to dwell with. God wants to tabernacle with his people. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this about us. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells with you? You're the building. You're the tent. You're the holy of holies. 1 Peter 2.5 says this. You yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house. You're like a church-like home. The big God story of history and humanity, this is it. This is the big God story that we find ourselves in. This is the big narrative of humanity, that God is trying to dwell with humanity. This is the story. God wants to live with people. This is why your life matters. This is why your choices matter. This is why your purity matters. This is why your faith is so powerful. This is why it's worth giving everything to follow Jesus and to be part of his purposes on the earth because it's so much bigger than this. It's so much bigger than this. The truth is that 
We're not all here just living our lives, making our choices, trying to be good people. We're all children gone astray. And God wants to adopt us back into his family. And the vehicle by which he aims to proclaim this good news is his church, is his people. In their ordinary, everyday lives, not because you're superstar religious people that have everything going on or not because you know better than everybody else or you know who to vote for or what news station to watch. It's got nothing to do with any of that, but just because they're a church like home. And God lives with them. That's his call on the church. So much more than all of these other things. The call is to be a church like home. And this is why the church can't be defined by a race. It can't be defined by a political party or an economic class. It can't be defined by music or preference or stance on any one social issue. Church isn't something that you shop for something that you show up to consume when it's convenient. Church isn't just a place to get spiritually fed when it works for you. The church is so much bigger than that. The church is the hope of the world. Our generation is leaving church because it's become a church built on preferences, built on social stances, built on cliques, political opinions. Most people experience church just like when they go to church, it's a church like everything else. The world is longing for a church like home. In John 14, 1 and 2, this is an often talk about passage in regards to heaven and eternity. But I'd like to submit something else to you before, or as we talk about a church like home. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus makes this declaration to his disciples. He says, I will build my church. It's this amazing thing. I'm going to build my church. And in John 14, 1 and 2, he says this to his disciples. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? In in Matthew 16, I will build my church. In John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. Two things where Jesus is talking about what he's going to build. I will build my house. I will build my church. I prepare a place for you. And in this place that I'm building, in this church that I'm building, in this house of my fathers that I'm building, there are many rooms. The word that's translated into rooms is is a word that you could translate into dwelling places. In my father's house, there are many rooms. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places. I'm building my church. He wasn't talking about a building. Jesus was not talking about a construction project. He was talking about, I'm going to build my home. I'm going to build the home of God. I'm going to build the church. I'm building my church. That's you, corporately. That's us. That's the people of God. God is building his church. And in his home, this church-like home, there are many rooms. There are many dwelling places. You are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. You are the rooms in the house of God. I will build my church. And in this church, there's room for a lot of people. I told you we'd do the whole Bible. So as we close, 
Revelation 21, verses three and five says this, talking about a prophetic vision that God gave to a man named John about the end of everything, the culmination of all of history and humanity and the creation of God. And he says this, he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne. In other words, I heard God saying, behold, the dwelling place, the tabernacle, the home of God is with man. This is God's sigh of relief in the end. My home is finally with man. He will, God will dwell with them and they will be his people. Not a race, not a nation, but the nations. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This is the declaration of God. I wanna talk, take this series, take these next few weeks to talk about how do we live life as a church like home? But this morning, it just starts really simply. If we're gonna be a church like home, then God's gotta live with us. And we just have to make room for him in our lives. God wants to live in you and God wants to live through you. And Jesus promised that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, his parting words, wait for the promise. Wait to be filled with God. This is the heart of God for your life. This is the heart of God for us as a people and for everybody around the earth who would call on the name of Jesus. And for everybody who doesn't, this is the will of God that he would live with them. I want you to go ahead and stand up this morning as we close. As we respond this morning, we wanna be a people every week. We always worship at the end because we wanna be people who respond to the word of God. We don't just talk about it. And we've got, what, six, seven minutes left, but these can be a powerful six or seven minutes where we just let God do something, solidify this in our lives. And there might be something that God is um, highlighting in your life, something that you need to respond to. It may require an outward response. It may require an inward response. I don't know, but I do know that it's leading you into life, whatever it is. And we're gonna have some people off to the side uh, to pray. If, if you need prayer for anything in your life, as we worship, you can go over and, and talk with any of them. They're, they'll make their way over there. But this morning, this, this series, this reality of being a church like home, it's really actually really simple. It just starts with surrender. It starts with surrender. And as we worship and we sing this song, Reckless Love, again, I just wanna let you, let, I want you to let God encounter you with his love for you and for his purpose, with his purposes for you. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill your life, to fill your life with him, with his dreams, with his purposes, with his power. Ask him to fill you for the sake of every day, not just Sunday. And it starts with surrender. You might be here this morning and say, I, I've never even given my life to Jesus. You, you haven't yet stepped into these purposes. You haven't been born again into this chosen race, a royal priesthood to live with God. And this might be the day that you need to decide. I don't know what it looks like, but I need new life. Today's a great day to make that decision. So I'm going to pray for us. And as we worship one more song, I want to believe that God is in the room because he is. I want to believe that he's ready to do more than we're asking for, more than we're hungry for, that his dreams are bigger than our dreams. His call is bigger than our call. His purposes are bigger than our purposes. And if we'll just say yes, we'll find ourselves caught up in it. 
And if you need to respond, I just want you to do that in your seat. Maybe you need to do something. Maybe you need to have somebody pray for you. If you want to start following Jesus this morning, please go talk to somebody off to the side. Get set free. Get made new and enter into the call of God on your life. I'm going to pray for us. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Jesus, we love you so much. And I thank you for what you're doing in this room. I thank you for your, I thank you for the church. I thank you that you've called us to be part of it. Lord, I pray that you would make us as a people, a church like home, the dwelling place of God for the sake of our city, for the sake of our neighbors, for the sake of our family and the nations of the earth. So come Holy Spirit, do what only you can do and have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name.